Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. In the Gun, episode 107. It's time to preview our first Big 12 matchup with those UCF Knights. Wesley Euler, Jed Drenning with you here. It is ITG. You are in the gun. It's your new favorite WV football podcast. Our guy, Owen Schmidt, has some work responsibilities tonight, so you just got myself and the signal caller. And as always, you already know, this episode of ITG brought to you in part by our friends at Bet Online, where the game starts. Jed, before we get into those newcomers in the Big 12 Conference, a little Central Florida talk on the podcast today. Big game for both teams this uh, this Saturday down there in the bounce house at high noon Eastern time. We've got a, uh, a, a slew of headlines to run through here. Okay, so first, some around campus headlines, right? Some shout outs, some things to mention notable, not related to football at WVU. Uh, the first, how about a big congratulations to Ken Kendricks and the Arizona Diamondbacks for going to the World Series. Ken, of course, uh, West Virginia native, WVU alum, business school grad, owner of the Arizona Diamondbacks, and they are off to the World Series after just an improbable Jed. No team had won in Philadelphia at Citizens Bank Park this entire postseason. The Diamondbacks went there for games six and seven, needing to win both games six and seven at a, on back-to-back nights in a stadium where no one had won the entire postseason, where the Phillies hadn't lost a single home game. I mean, the odds of them doing that, I'm sure, had to be hundreds to one to go to, a pl- to go to a place in Philadelphia that's a madhouse where they hadn't lost a game at home all postseason, and you win back-to-back nights. That's impressive. Ken Kendricks and the Diamondbacks are in the World Series, baby. Congrats to Ken Kendrick. Big things out in Arizona, obviously for him. Uh, yeah, it's it's this is the time of year when the improbable stories in baseball crop up. Really, it's, always, it's, always. And, and, you know, it's it, just as you touched on. Home field advantage in baseball uh, is usually over the course of a five game series, seven game series. It translates into one, one and a half wins. Right. That's usually what home field advantage in baseball means. But in the case of the Phillies, as you said, in the postseason absolutely unbeatable and here come the d-backs and boom wild. it's a remarkable story wild i mean you know the d-backs a team that i think they won 17 less games in the regular season or something like that than the phillies um were one of the last teams to get in although the phillies didn't win their division either to to be fair they had to play a wild card series as well too but yeah i mean over the last two seasons undefeated this year and then i think last year in the postseason they only lost, you know their run to the world series i think they only lost one or two games at home. So, yeah, great stuff there for Ken Kendrick and the Arizona Diamondbacks, and we'll be uh, we'll be rooting them on here in the World Series, I guess, unless you're a Rangers fan. Then root for the Rangers. But if you're just a Mountaineer with no rooting interest, let's go Diamondbacks. Uh, second thing here, speaking of other major league sports, uh, NBA season starting. We're recording uh, this episode on Wednesday, Jed. The NBA season, I should say, tipping off tonight. So just very quickly, just wanted to make sure to uh, to wish a good luck to our Mountaineer basketball players and the pros. Of course, Javon Carter with the Chicago Bulls, Deuce McBride with the New York Knicks, and Joe Mazzulla, who, of course, is at the helm, the head coach of the Celtics. And as I'm saying that out loud, that's that's pretty cool there, Jed. I mean, we got a point guard for the Bulls, a point guard for the Knicks, and the head coach for the Celtics. I mean, like we get the Lakers in there and we're like completing the set of all the most <laughs> iconic right. NBA. We got some Mountaineers at some big, you know, some big name uh, NBA franchises there. So obviously a big shout out to those three as they get their NBA season going. We wish them health. We wish them good luck and uh, and much success on this NBA campaign as they represent the Mountaineers 
at the professional level. And uh, finally here for our around campus headlines, Jay Jacobs, speaking of basketball, uh, 50 years in broadcasting around uh, the WVU basketball program. He's worked for MSN. He's been Tony Caridi's, you know, play-by-play guy for the broadcast forever. Uh, nearly 50 seasons, Jed, that he's been uh, with the Mountaineer Sports Network, with the WVU basketball team in some capacity, was a player, obviously, at one point, too. And um, I tell you what, he is going to take part in his final broadcast Friday, December 1st, against St. John's. And that's where um, he will be recognized and, and his retirement will be made refi- official. So if you're someone who's a, you know, you and I talk about this, kind of familiar names and things like that on the broadcast and all that, you know, Jay is – uh, a guy who's been around forever. He started with Tony doing the play-by-play or doing the color commentating in the '90s, um, and his, you know, his love and his passion for for WVU or something um, that you could just feel. You know, you could you could you could tell that that he really loved the Mountaineers. And uh, salute to Jay Jacobs. Thank you for 50 years of service. But he is he's in his 80s now. I think he's he's earned the right to to take some time to himself and enjoy retirement. It's been a great stretch recently for the most venerable members of Team MSN, Learfield. Uh, you had last week before the game against Oklahoma State, we surprised Coach Wallace by honoring him with a little segment thrown right. together by David right. Connor, our, our super producer down in Winston-Salem. And we all got to tell Dwight what he meant to us, and there were sound bites, and it was really cool. But, but Dwight's been at it for 25 years, and, and that was an honor to him last week. And right on the heels of that, you know, honoring Dwight's 25th year, and hopefully we get 25 more, uh, here comes Jay. And and my phone was blown up tonight. It really was. You know, after this was was made official, people reaching out to me and talking about what Jay meant to him growing up, listening to broadcasts, the stories that that they love to sit back and listen to, not just the game broadcast, but even at Hug's show. Uh, he's just a personality. He's a character. I remember – what year was it, Wes? 2015-ish that West Virginia opened the season in Germany? That sounds right. Ish, okay, somewhere around ish, there. But yeah. Well, well, what I remember about that is uh, in, in the strange modern world that we live in, Tony and Jay broadcast that game from the booth at Bill Sutter's Snyder Family Stadium. We were playing right. on the road football-wise at Kansas State. Well, after the game, so here they are broadcasting a WVU basketball game being played in Germany from Manhattan, Kansas. <laughs> well, after the game, uh, you know, Jay tagged along for dinner with me and Dwight and Tony, or and uh, and and we just had, as always, with Jay a blast. I mean, the stories. It's there's he's no great, filter on person, Jay. He's I mean, a that's great personality, one of a kind. Uh, and you couldn't spend five minutes around the guy without smiling fifteen times. And everybody says that, absolutely one of a kind. Uh, he will be missed. He will be remembered forever. Uh, what a career he's done this for so long and done it such a, at such a high level, but, uh, kudos to him. Hats off to Jay Jacobs. So as you mentioned, uh, you know, 25 years doing radio with, with TC, with our guy, Tony, he started doing television for MSN back with Jack Fleming in 1977. So, I mean, he's, you know, he was he was with the program from Jerry West. He was with the program through John Beeline and Bob Huggins. I mean, all of our best moments, he's he's been around, maybe other than the 1942 NIT championship winning program. The connective and, issue, but yeah. That's right. And I, I read this in the release as well, too. I thought this was pretty impressive. He's still 
still the all-time leading scorer at Morgantown High School. Hmm. I mean, think, think about how long. I mean, he's 85 years That's old. Think about how long it was since he graduated. He's still the all-time leading scorer at That's Morgantown High School, according to this uh, the release years today. Old, the record? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's crazy, right? It's got to be. It's got to be about 60 some years old. I mean, Jay had to be shooting those things through peach baskets, right? I mean, did they and, even have a three-point the line back when he was playing? <laughs> That's remarkable. That's amazing. That's fantastic. That's amazing. So, so all of our best to uh, to Jay Jacobs. We wish him all the best. Wish him well in retirement. And uh, as we're as we've been fortunate to have a lot of times in Mountaineer history, that's some big shoes to fill uh, for whoever's going to be taking his spot going yeah. forward. A thank you to Toothman Ford for presenting this episode of In the Gun as well. We all know cars cost less than Grafton. Shout out to our guy JR and Toothman Ford. They're doing great stuff with WVU NIL, something like two dozen athletes signed to NIL deals. So support uh, those who are supporting our university, our athletes, and this podcast. And Toothman Ford is certainly at the top of that list. Final headline here, Jed. This is one I'm interested to get your take on. It's I mean, other than maybe the World Series and some stuff going on in the NFL, this is right up there right now with the biggest headlines in sports at the moment. Of course, the Michigan cheating scandal. Yes, Jim Harbaugh and sign stealing, sign stealing and buying tickets on the sideline at all these games. And this thing is uh, this thing is running wild and where there's smoke quite often there is fire. So I know you've got a, a very calculated uh, opinion and take on all of this Michigan controversy. So what do you got? Well, you always hear that the cover-up's worse than the crime. Well, in this case, there was literally no cover-up. <laughs> no cover I mean, up. everything was done about as transparently as you can possibly imagine for all the world to see. I mean, the purchase of the tickets, the transfer of the Venmo money, everything was wide open. And so first, let's, let's talk about what does and doesn't happen. All right, let's let's establish for, for the average person that, that's sitting at home and might not be as dialed into the modern college game of football as, as we are. Uh, sign stealing doesn't just happen. It's a high art. You're almost negligent. If you're not doing it yourself, and if you don't have staff members committed to have to guard against it happening to you, I mean, every team in America is stealing signs as they should be. They're out in the open. The other side's putting all these exotic signs together. I mean, it involves studying TV copies. It involves it. It's it. It really is an art. Like I, I've seen people that are involved in the sign stealing part of it and guarding against other teams stealing our signs. They'll talk to coordinators after a scrimmage, and it's very competitive. Like, like the coordinators want to make sure that, hey, our signs can't be stolen. Okay, right. we're masking them in right. such a way that you can't steal them. Meanwhile, what will happen is the scouting department sits on the other side during the scrimmage and tries to steal them. And so afterwards, in this competitive, strangely competitive situation, the coordinator will come ask the scout, I've been part of these conversations. Hey, you didn't get any, did you? Actually, we did. We got three. Oh, no, you didn't. You're lying. Pulls out the notes. Uh, look right here. We got this one. We got this one. So if you don't change something by week one, they're going to get them just like we did. It's amazing. It's amazing. So that's all allowed. That's within the rules. What's not within the rules? In other words, anything you can do, studying TV copies that are available for public consumption, available to everybody, anything you can do on game day that you can intercept, like, I remember when I was with Rich, I was up in the booth. And when the other team's offense was on the field one particular game, I saw them trying to – they weren't they were a no-huddle team like we were. It was something we were very accustomed to. They were a more traditional team. 
and they start signal saying plays in. And one of our defensive coaches is in the booth with me, and he said, Jeff, what do you think that is? Well, for those listening and not watching, the coach on the other sideline simply put his hand up like he had a pencil in it and started drawing. And I was like, uh, something tells me they're running a draw. Wouldn't I be negligent if we didn't know that, right? So, <laughs> on yes, it absolutely happens. And some of the coaches that are most revered are some of the coaches within the coaching industry most known for stealing signs. Sure. Legally, okay? Sure. But what not, we're talking you know, not, about- Not Michigan, Belichick style out there, right? What we're talking about with Michigan is a different animal. What they're being accused of is sending someone to sit right behind the potential opponent's bench. So in some cases, an actual opponent in the Big Ten. They, I think it's been confirmed that 12 of the 13 other teams in the Big Ten found tickets being sold to these people, which first thing I thought was, who's the 13th team? Wow, who's so bad that you don't even need to spy on them? Uh, and then there were potential matchups like Tennessee, who they thought before Tennessee lost to South Carolina, they might be playing them in the playoffs, Georgia, Alabama, the SEC championship game. Right. So they're actually sending people to sit behind the bench. These are the accusations, if it's confirmed, to sit behind the opposing bench and not just scrutinize it, study it, take notes, but even actually videotape it. Because in a, in a quirky way, most people don't even know this, you're not supposed to send or scout a game in person in the season that you're playing that team. You're not supposed to do it. That's against the rules. And it has been since the mid nineties for this like for, for, for WVU to send somebody to Oklahoma last week and sit in the stands during the UCF that's game. Yeah. That's illegal. Yes. Yeah. You're not supposed to do that. Uh, that's part of what they're being accused of and also being accused of taking it to a much higher level. Oh, yeah. Right. Taping it and, and, and like I said, I see these things, that are on social media and you have like, for instance, Ohio state fans going crazy because you see the subject at hand, the person we're talking about on the Michigan staff standing next to the coordinator and they're waiting for an Ohio state hand signal to come in. And as soon as it does, he, he tells the coordinator and everybody on the entire sidelines has a, has a pass for or a sign right. or it's a pass play hand in the air. Right. Pass play. That's legal. If you're intercepting it in real time across the field, that's legal. The part that's not legal is if you gained that information, or even if you didn't gain the information, if you just tried to, by scouting a game in person and videotaping it, you're taking it to a whole different level. Now, if in fact this is proven and established, you're you, this is an integrity of the game issue, and this is going to get really serious. So right now, the conversations, of course, Michigan is trying to dismiss it out of hand. Oh, it's overblown. It had nothing to do with us beating those teams. What else are they going to do? But it seems to be gaining steam that everything from rumors to substantiated reports, it varies across the spectrum. I saw something today saying that one of the odds makers is actually taking lines off the Michigan games. They're, they have a bye this week. Starting back next week against Purdue, they're not going to have a line. Hmm. Connect the dots there. What's that Interesting. Mean? Interesting. If you're replacing your head coach, and also the timing of it's kind of strange. Michigan does have a bye this week. And there's been chatter that the NCAA is doing that this week to at least give Michigan a puncher's chance to get their ducks in a row when Jim Harbaugh has coached his last game and they have to do something. Again, I don't know if it's going to happen. Are, and, don't, and remember, he already got suspended to start this season. He sure did. He sure <laughs> did. And and he's, of course, he's going to jet off to the NFL if this all plays out. But yeah. Yeah. if it happens, it's going to happen. It sounds very quickly, maybe even by the time this thing drops, something 
is going to happen quickly if it's going to happen. I can't see it dragging out in the next week or beyond. But it's sounding like it's gaining enough steam. Uh, there, there's there's more than just smoke now. At least there's some heated embers. I don't see a fire yet, but I do see some heated embers. Uh, so it's it sounds like again this is a this is a something we could do a couple episodes in the off season on the extent to which you legally go to intercept signals. Now it's been said many times. You're right. If you it's... want to rectify most of this. There you go. Communication of the players' helmets. That eliminates yeah. 99%. And make, and make Michigan pay for the installation of all of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Across the across the last cross college football. And there's questions it's, as to why they don't do it. You see the boards up, the placards, the mirrors. Like, like Wes, I, I could go all day. Like, I know a story when Oklahoma was playing Tennessee, I want to say seven years ago. I think it was, yeah, when Baker was at Tennessee or at Oklahoma when they faced Tennessee. Uh, it was right around there. But they had that home and home. Well, I, I talked to some people who were on staff at one of those schools, and what ended up happening was Tennessee had Oklahoma's signals, and so they figured that out in Knoxville. So when they made the return trip to Norman, the person that was responsible for guarding Oklahoma's symbols or signals in-game in the second half, they, they said, okay, let's see how the first half goes. We changed them enough. Let's see if they're still on to us. Well, Tennessee started intercepting them in the second half or in the first half. So at halftime, it was decided, all right, here's what's going to happen. The guy that's in charge for Oklahoma protecting the signals is going to stay right next to uh, the, the, the uh, staffers that have the placards. You've seen the boards up. Well, sometimes those boards will have pictures on one side. Well, guess what's on the other side? A reflective mirror. So this was a day game in Norman. So they spent the entire time in the second half shooting that reflective mirror in the eyes of the person on the Tennessee sidelines who was looking to intercept their signals. That's hilarious. That was his job for the whole third and fourth quarter. That's hilarious. Blind that guy with our mirror. And nobody in the stadium, 80,000 people are sitting there. Nobody knows this is happening. That's and hilarious. It's arguably one of the more impactful things in the first oh, half sure. of the game. Sure. <laughs> so That's anyway. funny. That's kind of everything you out everything you outlined there, Jed. You know, I mean, we were just talking about the World Series briefly for a couple minutes ago. Yeah, um, it kind of reminds me of the Astros thing a few yeah, years ago. Like everybody beating. tries to get a pitcher's signal is to an extent, right? You got somebody on second base and he can see what the catcher's signal. You know what As I mean? Like, should. but 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 there is a fine line between. Um, there's a fine line between doing what you should is in the context of the game to try and get an advantage. And I think in a, in a outside the lines, competitive advantage, you know, there's you know what it is, Wes? in today's age, here's the analogy I'd give you. When I leave my house, I kind of expect there's a chance I'm on videotape in today's world, <laughs> wherever I go, I kind of expect with all the phones, with all the CCTV, there's a chance and I live in Tucker County, but people still have phones. I still have stop signs. Wherever blink, you go, blink cameras, all that stuff. Yeah, who knows what my car's taping or not? To, I, I don't know. I, I when I leave my house, I kind of expect that. But sitting in my house, it's creepy to think somebody might videotape. That's a good yes, yes. That's the analogy. Like you if go. you're on the sidelines, wide open with your signals, yeah, that's open game. But you don't expect it's open game from somebody in the third row, thirty feet behind you with a ticket. filming, filming the whole yes. thing. That, yeah. That's that's a bridge way too far. So to me, that's the difference. I like that. I'm I'm gonna roll with that. I think that's a perfect analogy. Well, like many stories in the uh, in the storied history of this podcast, the 107 episode history of this podcast, this will be one that we keep an eye on rolling forward. Absolutely, we'll follow up on this. We'll see if anything does happen during this bye week for the Michigan Wolverines. Heck of a time for them to uh, for this to all be going on when they have 
a legitimate shot to win the Big Ten, go to the playoff, national championship, all that stuff again. We will certainly keep an eye on how this one plays out. Before we go to break, another thank you to our friends at Fortis. Our guy, Rick Lewis, of course, the best commercial roofing business in the country for roof performance and financial certainty guaranteed. Make sure you're visiting Fortis.us.com. All right, quick. You want to close with with Torque and the Michigan people? You could Uh say, based on what we've seen, this is the best team Jim Harbaugh has had at Michigan. Mm -hmm. Or is it? Wait, what do you mean, where is it? Or is it? Oh, or is it? Yeah, or is it? I get, I get what you see. What I'm saying. <laughs> so, so anyway, go ahead. Yeah. I, I saw that. I saw this thing too. Quick, quick little other. I saw this thing earlier that was like, oh, well, Jim Hart. And I think you mentioned it, and I think you're right. Like he would land in the NFL, no, like no problem. I mean, cool. he he could get a job in the NFL in a week or two. But I saw this thing that was like, all these teams would be lining up over them, uh, tripping over themselves to go hire Jim Harbaugh, a noted quarterback guru. And I'm like. He's been in Michigan for a decade. Can you tell me one good quarterback that he's developed? And isn't that what we always say is that Michigan's problem is they never have a quarterback. They got everything else. They got the run game. They got the D line. They got the linebackers. They got the guys in the secondary. They just don't have a quarterback. They don't have CJ Stroud. They don't have Trevor Lawrence, right? They don't like yeah. uh, that. Just that, that made me chuckle. I was like, if Jim Harbaugh is this great quarterback whisperer, you know, because he got the best out of Colin Kaepernick for a couple years. And Alex Smith, yeah. And well, I guess Alex Smith too. Yeah, although he had some success in Kansas City to to be fair and as well Jim, with, and, with Andy. And, you know what? and Andrew Luck. So in other Andrew words, if you go back a decade. Well, uh, yeah, but that, going, but that's but, what yeah, I you're mean. Right. In the like, last you know, decade, yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's like saying, it's like saying, uh, uh, Rich Rodriguez. I mean, all he does is churn out two star running backs and turn them into pros, and I'm. A, Steve Slayton and KJ Harris were a long time ago, brother. I mean, you know, that's that's a bad example, but you you get well, what yeah, I'm saying. Say like, he had the nation's leading rusher at, at Arizona. He did have the nation's sure, leading yeah. rusher, but I'm talking on that scale of like a, yeah. a, a oh, yeah. national a national football league level. Yeah. Um, you know, we talk about Penn State producing linebackers because they consistently give us the Lavar Arringtons and the Paul Puzlesnys and the Micah Parsons. Like it's there. You know, Harbaugh. When's the last time we talked about a quarterback and Harbaugh? Like he was some 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 big old guru. So that that just made me chuckle. But yes, you're right. He would have a job in in the NFL uh, in just uh, just a brief moment. That's for sure. All right, let's get to this break. On the other side, we are looking fully at this upcoming road trip down to Florida to take on UCF for the first time uh, in about 20 years. The first time, obviously, as a member of the Big 12 Conference. So we'll get into all of that when we get back on the other side. You are in the gun. Nobody supports the Blue and Gold Mountaineers like Toothman Ford. With over 20 NIL deals and counting, Toothman Ford continues to rally behind our student-athletes. And it's time we rally and support the dealer that supports the Mountaineers. Not only does Toothman Ford offer the best prices in the state on pre-owned, their never-over MSRP campaign on new Fords guaranteed to save you thousands. Drive with pride all season long, knowing you're supporting the dealer that fuels our Mountaineers. Toothman Ford, where cars cost less. In Grafton and at ToothmanFord.com. For more West Virginia Mountaineer football content, be sure to follow us on Twitter at In the Gun Podcast. For nearly 20 years, Fortis has been the nation's leader in providing guaranteed roof performance programs for commercial buildings. Fortis offers roof performance solutions that feature extensive initial and ongoing reconditioning for commercial buildings as an alternative to traditional replacement 
with long-term performance guarantees that are backed by global leader Lloyds of London. Fortis offers a comprehensive range of roof performance management programs that provide financial security, extend the life of our customers' roofs, and make a significant impact on ROI. Fortis is currently improving performance and increasing ROI for customers at more than 4,800 locations with more than 140 million square feet protected, including many Fortune 500 companies that have turned to Fortis to save money, gain financial certainty, and extend the life of their existing roofs. Fortis has helped customers save more than $520 million in capital roof replacement costs for an average ROI of over 250%. To learn more, visit fortis.us.com. Fortis, roof performance and financial certainty guaranteed. Let's go, Mountaineer fans. You're tuned in to In the Gun with Wes, the runaway beer truck, and the signal caller. Back in the gun here as we roll along. It is time to take a look at UCF. It's our preview episode, a big one for both teams. The Mountaineers trying to halt a two-game win streak, get back to feeling good, get back in the win column and moving in the right direction. Uh, Central Florida, their homecoming game, still looking for that first Big 12 win. They are 0 for 4 in conference play. So uh, two teams kind of at a a crossroads moment for their season here, and the winner's going to feel good. And all right, we got some football left still in front of us, and let's go uh, get some more W's. And the loser is going to feel like they have, uh, have really dug themselves a hole here, certainly. So, Jed, I always like to kind of put this one on a platter for you. I know you spent the last week deep diving into film, into notes, into research, into, into everything that you do to get ready for a broadcast. So in your mind, where's this one start, right? I mean, we know there's going to be a lot of important elements and areas of this game, but what stands out is kind of the, the first thing you want to highlight that's going to be really important here. Uh, let's, let's start on the, the defensive side of the football for West Virginia. Uh, I mean, it's a Gus Malzahn coach team, uh, so it makes – perfect sense if you're going to start looking at what they might do to attack us right and uh, I mean Gus Balzon's been at it for a long time uh, he's he's been doing this at a high level for a long time very self-made guy you know came from the uh, Arkansas high school ranks and parlayed that into a couple coaching jobs next thing you know he's he lands at Auburn and and he's taken them to to heights they hadn't seen in a long time uh, but uh, he had a lot of really innovative things, especially when he was really ambushing the SEC, I want to say 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was really after, or even 14 years ago, it was after Tuberville was fired. We faced, let me do the math, we faced Tuberville in 08. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they hired Gus in 09. And we went down there early in the year. Now, he, he'd been coaching that offense at, at a high level, uh, at the college level for some time. And nobody really had an answer for it. Nobody had really solved it. And this was early in the year. We were, matter of fact, I think it was my first road game uh, working the sidelines for MSN because before that I was just on like pregame. Right. Uh, so I wasn't traveling. But a couple of things I remember about that game, facing Gus. I remember it was a Saturday night game. And so I spent a lot of time Saturday morning uh, down in the team room uh with, with Jeff Castillo and Jeff had the clicker in his hand we had the lights off and we're just grinding through hours of tape and uh as Jeff could so often do uh he's one of the most you know self-effacing unselfish humble guys you ever meet so he'll never admit this but but he had kind of cracked some of the code 
of Malzahn's magic as he's watching tape and studying tendencies. And again, this is circa 2009. But he starts walking me through a couple things that he's seeing. Jed, when they do this, they're going to do that. When they do this, when they do that, they're going to do this. And uh, you walked away thinking, all right, well, you know what? He he kind of has a bead on this run game that Malzahn has used to absolutely gash every team he's faced. Because, I mean, it has a lot of smoke and mirrors to it, but there's physicality to it. And there's a downhill uh, element to it. So it was unlike any anything anybody had seen at that point out of the configurations that he was presenting it in. So we, we went into the game thinking, all right, well, they're not going to gash us on the ground like they have everybody else, but we're going to have to earn our keep on the back end. We don't know what's going to happen with their athletes on the perimeter. And that's another danger of facing a Malzahn team. He knows how to put those athletes in space, create some big play opportunities, test your safeties. So sure enough, when's, what ends up happening? Uh, for those that remember the game, uh, you, you know it unfolded as a, at a 41 to 30 Auburn win, but we were winning after three quarters. And turnovers afflicted us. I think we turned the ball over half a dozen times. They that's the game up. where that's the game where Noel had the had the really long touchdown run, right? right? It was early. Yeah, that was early. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so one of the reasons we were winning after three quarters was Jeff did what it very much appeared Jeff was ready to do, and that was shut down Gus Malzahn's run game. Auburn ran the ball. I got the numbers right here: forty-one times for a hundred yards, two point four carry. Now again. Jeff will be the first to tell you that doesn't mean I can solve everything at once. The past game is going to be a different animal. I have to take my shots and see, roll the dice and see what happens. Well, Chris Todd, a serviceable quarterback, but not a guy who went on to play in the NFL for a decade, right? For Auburn. He threw for 284 yards, had multiple big plays, four touchdowns. The play of Chris Todd, more so the turnovers by West Virginia, but those were the two critical things that turned that game. So, Jeff Castile cracked the code as close as anybody had ever come to cracking the code in the run game. Uh, so here we come again, 14 years later. Now there are some parallels. Some things are relatively timeless uh, in what Gus does, but bear in mind Gus in the off season, he had, a, he had an offensive coordinator in Chip Lindsay last year, and he was actually letting him call the, call the thing. And, and uh, he left and took the North Carolina job. He's the OC at UNC with the, uh, with the Tar Heels now uh, up there with Mac. So to replace him, he brought home uh, a former conquering, conquering hero at UCF, a former record-setting quarterback in Darren Henshaw. Uh, now, Darren Henshaw is a guy, he's the new coordinator, and he's calling it. But don't tell me there's not fingerprints on it when you watch tape and influence from Gus. Of course there's going to be. That's his pedigree. But Darren Henshaw, in his own right, brings some value to the table. He's he's a guy that's bounced around, coached at multiple levels, at multiple spots. Uh, he has a history of tempo. So he's he's really sharp when it comes to coaching up tempo. Uh, and he also has something in common with uh, with Neil Brown. They both uh, worked for Tommy Tuberville. He was Tommy's uh, pass game coordinator at Cincinnati, just like uh, Neil was Tommy's OC at Texas Tech. So there's a fascinating dynamic there uh, in that Darren Henshaw is the coordinator. And it's not just by title, but there's other personalities in that room. They're going to influence what they do and shape what they do. Gus, of course, being the biggest of them. Uh, but in addition to that, you've heard Owen and I talk about Herb Hand. Mm -hmm. uh, Herb is a guy who has a lot of history with Gus way back to their days at Tulsa when they were together. Now, 
Mountaineer fans, of course, are familiar with Herb because he was on staff with Rich. Well, we all have a history with Herb. I, I was at Herb's wedding in 1994 in Buchanan, West Virginia. Uh-huh. I mean, we've known each other forever. He was on. He was our D coordinator that replaced Dean Hood at Glenville State. Okay. Herb is a former uh, Division three college O lineman uh, at Hamilton College in New York. Uh, he's just a, an affable guy that's very good at branding. I mean, Herb Herb can brand. I mean, he can self-promote. He understands social media. That part of it, he was always way ahead of the curve. And he's really popular with his players. I mean, you're not going to find uh, a group of O-linemen or a former O-lineman that played for him that doesn't just rave about him. Uh, so there's a lot of faith that Gus is going to have in Herb and his input into what they're trying to do. And when you look at the metrics, the metrics all bear out the fact that uh, they're they're a, a very structurally sound offensive line. Uh, now we'll get to the skill in a minute, but let's start at the point of attack. Their, their offensive line, uh, when you look at what they're able to do, first of all, they're setting the table for some big things to happen from a big play standpoint because of that skill that they have. But it's not an accident. Playing within the script of the offense there are metrics, Wes, that, that measure how often you actually, you know, blow an assignment on a designed run play. And they have consistently for the last couple of years with this staff uh, ranked towards uh, the best in the country at limiting their missed assignments. So they're well coached, they're well drilled, and uh, they're going to put you in position to have some success. So when you start talking about the guys that they have are dangerous, uh, it's all going to start with the quarterback, John Rice Plumley, And John Rice Plumley to me, is an ideal Gus Malzahn kind of quarterback. You heard Neil talk this week about how he has a baseball background, and you can mm-hmm. kind of see it on tape. And Neil's right. I mean, he has a very strong arm, but a very quick release. So when he's RPO in those now screens, and he's throwing that thing way out wide, he's kind of flipping his sidearm with pepper on it and and giving his his receivers a a great opportunity to do something with the ball in space because it's not floating. But he can make things happen. This is a guy, let's start with this. Out of high school, he started at Ole Miss, his career at Ole Miss as a dual-threat quarterback when when Coach Rodriguez was actually the offensive coordinator for that one year at Ole Miss. He was Rich's quarterback. And this kid was a 1,000-yard rusher at quarterback in the SEC. I mean, you could see – I mean, he had 200-some yards against uh, LSU that right. season. I mean, he is legitimately explosive. I mean, he is explosive and dynamic. He's always been a threat when he tucks it and goes uh, as a runner, uh, but I think he's developed as a passer. And when you look at some of the guys that they have to complement him, uh, you have a running back who split time behind their bell cow last year this is R.J. Har- Harvey's their new feature back. Uh, he's a he's a, a versatile kid. Uh, he's a former quarterback at UVA, so that's his background. High football IQ. He sees the big picture. He understands what you're asking him to do in the role of the offense. Very compact, 5'9", a little over 200 pounds. Uh, he comes into the game seventh in the Big 12 in rushing. Uh, so he's churning out about 87 yards a game. But the thing is, when you start looking at their skill, Okay, Uh, when you when you look on the perimeter. Some of the guys they have on the perimeter uh, are what make them different, what make them dangerous and scary and lethal. Uh, I'll give you some figures here and I'll give you some frames. Javon Baker, 
he comes in. He's one of their uh, top receivers. As a matter of fact, they probably target him more than anybody else. Uh, he comes in at 6'1", 208, but he's very, very shifty and slippery. Good route runner. Kobe Hudson, 6'1", 200 pounds. They, they target him quite a bit, too. These are both 500-yard receivers at this point in the season. Xavier Townsend, uh, also a return man. He's dangerous in the return game. If you go back to last year, he did some really scary things in the return game, but they'd like to move him around and play him in the slot. Uh, one of the things they dealt with last week, and this is what makes that effort at Oklahoma so impressive, Xavier Townsend made me think of it. They had a flu bug break out on the team mm -hmm. as they started making that trip. So they're literally in transit from Orlando to Norman to Oklahoma. And uh, I think they had 14 kids had to miss meetings Friday night uh, because they were administering IVs. One of them was Xavier Townsend. He ended up playing. It was productive at five catches. John Rice Plumley was one of them. He had three IVs, I think, administered in a, in a course of 24 hours to play in that football game. But what I'm getting at, Wes, is when you, when you put these kids, it, you know, this just in, if you're sitting there in Orlando, uh, the, re the recruiting ground around you is so incredibly fertile that you're going to find skill. There's all kind of skill to go around the no sunshine. Doubt. That's no, no surprise. So you don't, you don't have to go that far from campus to find guys who can, can be playmakers for you. So you would expect uh, Central Florida, especially when they can put that Power 5 badge on as a member of the Big 12 now, to go out and find those types of kids. Well, it's translated well because when you look at the production that they've shown, it doesn't show up in their record. Three and four, they've dropped four straight. But Here's some of the things that should concern you and put you on high alert. They lead the Big 12 in plays from scrimmage of 20-plus yards, 30-plus yards, 40-plus yards, 50, and 60-plus yards. Jeez. All those categories. So they have more than Oklahoma. They have more than Texas, than anybody else you want to name. They lead the nation in runs from scrimmage of 20-plus yards. So they will gash you a rhythm-based offense that will get those yards in chunks, first down, first down, take a shot. We talk about it on here all the time. So those are the types of things that do, in fact, concern you. So uh, an offensive line that doesn't blow assignments, uh, here's one of the figures for you. I mentioned it. Uh, they have the lowest blown block percentage on run plays in the entire Big 12. They blow an assignment less than one time every 100 times they run the football. Jeez. It's 0.7%. So well-drilled, well-coached, very effective, very sound. They're not going to beat themselves, so structurally sound. Now, West Virginia, to have some success and to offset this playmaking ability, everybody knows how banged up we are at the linebacker spot. We're a little shorthanded on the, on the third level in the secondary. So we're going to have to lean on this defensive line. The rotation of the D-line is going to have to get back to what it was doing during that four-game winning streak. That's part of it. Because one of the things that we were so good at, uh, and we'll come discuss some of the reasons that it's changed, but one of the things we were so good at through those four games was impacting the passer. We still, because of that five-game start, we still lead the Big 12 in quarterback knockdowns with 24. So th those are the types of things that we talked about it before. They're not a sack. They're kind of remember-me shots. They're very distracting to an opposing passer. They knock them off rhythm. They have great effect. Uh, we have 84 quarterback hurries. That's number two in the Big 12. And, and again, the, most of this came in the first five games. 
quarterback hits, still number two in the Big 12. So we talked about the fast start we had. Let me tell you what's happened to those numbers in the last two games. And it, it kind of coincides with the success that opposing players have had against us. Uh, we saw Donovan Smith have success against us because we weren't impacting him and hitting him. And we saw last week Alan Bowman have success against us because he was able to lean on the run game. And they were a two-dimensional or even three-dimensional offense. In the last two games, quarterback knockdowns. The Emmy we have in two games. Now we have 24 for the year, number one in the Big 12. Yeah, I don't think we had any against um, against uh, Oklahoma State, correct? Correct. So, I mean, I'm I'm guessing we've had maybe, I don't know, five, five or six in the last two games? One. One. one against Donovan Smith, none against Oklahoma State. Quarterback hurries, it's down to 15, which, you know, sounds robust until you think, okay, the first five games we were averaging 14. The last two games, that's been cut in half. We're averaging seven and a half. Quarterback hits, we're down to five. We were averaging eight. We've averaged two and a half. Now, we have to mention, this isn't an excuse. It's a fact. Trey Lathan led the team in most right. of those categories. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so we're a huge, huge loss. Huge loss. He's gone. Nobody's going to care. Yeah, you're right. He, 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 ain't, coming, he ain't coming back next week or anything. No, yeah. he's not walking down that tunnel. Uh, as much as we'd love him to as a Florida kid, right? But we have to find other ways to manufacture this which means you have to get a little more creative. Now, we like to chop up the front, do some exotic things within the confines and the structure of the defensive line and the bandit. Uh, we will do that. And then you have to pick your spots. I mean, Jordan Leslie talked this week, and he, he made a great point. He's like, look, everybody thinks that the answer is always more pressure. Well, that comes at a cost, right? I mean, I, I'll give you a, a sense of it like this. As a former quarterback, that's what I used to ask for. Once I mastered my offense and I knew my quick answer throws and I knew where everything was and I understood the big picture, what we were trying to do, I was like, please bring pressure. Because, you know, I would approach a game saying, hey, we're getting our 400 yards passing. Now, the part that's up to you as a defense and as a defensive play caller, do you want to give up 400 yards and 20 completions or 35? That part's up to you. But we're getting our 400. I'll have the patience to go, you know, whatever, 30-some completions. And nickel and dime my way down. If you go too high, don't pressure us. We'll run the ball, mix it in. But if you're crazy enough to bring five, six guys each time, much less seven and zero, it's going to happen a lot faster and we're going to rack those yards up. So it's not always the answer. What you have to do is pick your spots. And most importantly, what frustrated me most as a quarterback was when somebody was creative enough to not let you get a bead on that pressure. And no matter how much tape you studied, you still couldn't get it. You still couldn't bat a thousand. There were still going to be times when you didn't see it coming and here it came and you're outnumbered. Now it's six on five, you know, from a, a rusher to a blocker ratio. And that's on you as the quarterback. I, I'm responsible for that six guy now, right? Mm -hmm. So defensively, there's no Trey Latham. So what you got to do is within the scheme, find ways to maximize what you can do with your front, with your substitutions, the different skill sets of those seven, eight bodies we like to use and the bandit. And, and then when can you bring that fifth guy? When can you slip a Will Backer in there? When can you slip a Mike Backer in there uh, as a fifth guy or even a spear? You have to pick your spots. You just have to make sure that they don't get a beat on it because if they get a beat on it, it's advantage them. So, it's much more difficult. It's not impossible. That's the task at hand. You have to find more creative ways to disguise and camouflage what you're doing. 
while still picking your spots to throw some pressure at them. Now, in a perfect world, you get pressure with four down and you can drop resources into coverage and you kind of get the best of both worlds, but it doesn't always work that way, especially against the O-line as structurally sound is what we're talking about. I mean, it's going to be difficult to have those guys seeing ghosts. Sometimes maybe against lesser coached offensive lines or offensive lines that, that lack experience or continuity, you can kind of find their blind spots and do that a little easier. Now, now to some extent you can't hear too, but I'm just saying you're going to have to earn it. You're going to have to earn every inch of it. So that's, that's part of it. Now, part of the reason you want to do that as well is we're trying to make the most of a bare bone secondary. That's what we're trying to do. And to do that, you've got to get to the passer. You've got to impact the passer. Uh, if you're unable to do that, it's going to be a long day no matter who we're playing. That's just the matchup of every game we're going to face, okay? You have guys that are overachieving at certain spots. We're still searching for a permanent answer uh, at, at one corner. Again, I always, I always like to say Malachi has done everything and more with what God gave Malachi. I mean, I, I, I like his tenacity, his mentality, the way that he approaches the game. Uh, I love it, but he doesn't have a long frame. I mean, there's going to be some limitations physically, right? Uh, now, on the other side, Beanie has been everything we could have expected and probably more, so, uh, settling into that kind of alpha spot at the one corner spot. But we're going to need some help from some other kids that that really, whether it's Jacoby Spells, whether it's Andrew Wilson, Lambs, one, somebody's going to have to emerge yeah. with those limited reps. They've been, you have to, first, you have to earn your reps and earn your trust in practice. But then when you look across the safety group, other things are going to have to happen there as well. I mean, we're we're limited in who we can have faith in throwing a lot of reps at. Yeah. I mean, Keyshawn Cobb out for the year, Montre Miller out for the year. We, we all know these things. So there's the challenge that Jordan Leslie should on Brown and the defensive state staff are tasked with. We know we have to find a way to get back to the pressure numbers or somewhere closer to the pressure numbers we had through five games. Because they were chunky and robust. We were getting after the quarterback and and the results, you could see them on tape. Mm-hmm. I mean, we held the opposition through five games to a Big 12 best 50% completion rate because we were getting pressure. Even if you weren't sacking them, you were getting pressure. That's dipped significantly in the last two games. So there's the challenge. Can you do that? That's what we're going to try and find out. And then, and most importantly, and this is the discussion we always have, when you talk about when the field shrinks, what can you do? Well, when you get into the red zone, half the time we're holding the opposition to a field goal or less. Half the time they're getting a touchdown. That's much better over last year. It's yeah. not down around the 38 40% that we hovered at through five games, but it's still something you can win with. But if you want to turn something serviceable plus one and back into a strength, improve even a little more. Now, Central Florida offensively, uh, part of this, I think, is because their their lack of continuity at quarterback. They lost John Rice Plumley for three games. Now, the backup came in, did a nice job. Uh, he's a guy that played for uh, Coach Trickett for Travis at, at South Florida mm-hmm. last year and did some really good things for them on a, on a team that had to score to even try and stay in games. And he played some good football for them while John Rice Plumley was out. But it, it, it we saw it when, when uh, Nico and Garrett were in and out. The, the offense looks different when you're changing quarterbacks. So they're 61% offensively in the red zone scoring touchdowns, which is eighth in the big 12. Now, the more John Rice Plumley plays, the higher I would expect that number to climb. 
uh, because he's just too big of a factor when he's at his best in the field strengths with the athleticism. And then from a third down standpoint, uh, you're going to have to find ways to get them off the field. That's something that we did pretty well. We did incredibly well through five games. That's not what got us beat at Houston, uh, but it is one of the things that hurt us against Oklahoma State. That's the first time that that snuck up and bit us. We couldn't get, get them off the field. Uh, so that was a strength for us for a significant portion of the season. It has to get back to being a strength. And the thing I'll close with on a positive note, and again, these are all seven games baked into this equation. So there's a certain filter that has to apply, understanding what's happened since the injuries and that type of thing. But mm -hmm. one of the metrics that is looked at, there's a metric called lowest deserved catch rate. In other words, you're looking at opposing offenses, what you've allowed the other offense to do. Uh, and it's basically catches and drops. In other words, anything that should have been a catch. Sure. Divided by the number of balls that were catchable. It's a good way of, of basically quantifying how often your defense does a solid job in coverage, be it in zone, be it in man. Well, West Virginia defensively, our deserved catch rate percentage is the lowest in the Big 12. It's 76.6% uh, of catchable balls, okay? Uh, and it's the third lowest in P5. So that that's something to consider. In other words, when the defensive line is helping them and is impacting the quarterback and the linebacker who are pitching in as well, uh, that's that's the end result is you're helping the secondary approach those types of figures. But I don't have the figures on that broken down five games to the last two, but if something tells me it doesn't take a lot to connect those dots sure, and realize sure. we haven't been nearly as effective in the last two weeks as the first five. But you, you saw it to some extent. We'll close with this on the defensive side, Wes. At the end of the Oklahoma State game, everybody in the stadium recognized when they got the ball back after we scored, we're still down seven. We got all three timeouts. We're a quick three and out of the way from getting the ball back. Everybody in the stadium realized number zero is getting the ball. Jordan Leslie knew it. Everybody yeah. on the sideline knew it. Everybody in the stands knew it. I was in California, and I knew it. You were in California, and you knew it. So what do you do here? Well, you've got a couple choices. First, you can sit there and, and go low risk in a base defense and maybe have a run blitz or a more aggressive run fit. And it's not as high risk because you still have a safety net connected to your defense and you have a backer or a safety to stop a breakthrough run. But how effective is that going to be against a kid that that's been gashing us the better part of the day? The, the more, the more intelligent thing to do there is what we did do. Jordan Leslie. And we talked about it with Owen the other night, he dialed up a cover zero blitz. Now, the problem, just as the owner and I discussed, and dialing up a zero blitz, there's a reason you don't run it every snap, right? The reason you don't run it every snap is the margin for error diminishes. If you are slightly off on one of your run fits and a back like that gets through, there is no second level. Think about Green it. Green grass. All have their backs, their backs turned. They're, they're running down the field. Coverage yep. running down field. So there is no second level. You either stop them at the point of attack with a big play or if he leaks through, it's Katie bar the door. Feast, feast or famine. So that that's what you're left with. In other words, if you have a full complement of all your starters and you have a Trey Lathan, you have this, you have that, but you might do it differently. You don't have to roll the dice as aggressively. Maybe you're not in that position. 
But we said it the other night, Wes, if, if, if ifs and buts were candy and nuts, it'd be Christmas every day. We have what we have. So you have to roll the dice with what you have because of what you have. You have to make the decisions schematically based on what you have. So you have to calibrate your plan. And that's what the staff is doing. That's what the staff is doing. They're, you know, as, as uh, Rick Neuheisel likes to, to say, they're Apollo 13 in this thing. You remember the scene in Apollo 13 when they got the group of engineers together at NASA and they said, hey, get these guys home, figure it out. They said, oh, that's easy. We do this. And I said, no, 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 no. You can only use what's in this box because that's what's on that, that capsule. That's I'm all sorry. you can use. Figure it out what's in this box. So what we got on this roster is what's in that box at NASA. So you got to Apollo 13 this thing. <laughs> you can't add tools to the box if they aren't in there. They're not on the capsule, right? Now, hold on. Can I get Trey Lathan back in my box, please? Yeah, Trey Lathan's not on the capsule, right? Trey Lathan's not on the capsule. I wish he was. We got to build this oh. using this. That's right. So everybody stand around and chain smoke your cigarettes and your black horn rim glasses. That's what you got. That's what <laughs> you got. So that's, I'll I'll kick it back to you to get your thoughts on on how we match up defensively against their offense. And then we'll, we'll segue over. Yeah, well, Jed, I mean, the, the, the thing that really stands out to me is some of that stuff that you started on the quarterback pressure stuff. I mean, so much of what this defense was able to do, you know, particularly in that uh, that three game stretch of Pitt and then Texas Tech and then TCU was because of the pressure that they were able to dial up was because of just the depth. You know, we talked about it, you know, the, the, the snap counts for so many guys being all within the same area and, and being, having the ability to rotate those guys and keep them fresh and apply pressure on quarterbacks and, and, and create some havoc in that way and get those remember me shots that you mentioned certainly saw that against Pitt. Uh, and and Phil Jerkovic, I mean, he's he hasn't been the same since. I, I don't think. Uh, and you had the, you had the same success against Texas Tech. You had the same success against TCU. And then, as you mentioned, since since that bye week, it's it's gone the opposite direction. Um, barely any of it against Houston. Really, none of it against Oklahoma State. And what was the strength of your defense? And the loss of Trey Lathan has been massive in that regard, without a doubt. Um, but you know what? Like you've got to find some ways to still get home. You've got to find some ways to knock some of these quarterbacks off their game and make them uncomfortable. And I'm with you that that feels like the biggest thing for this team right now. Central Florida's given up a lot of points, right? Yeah. I mean, I know, I know we're going to talk about our offense and their defense in just a second, but I mean, they gave up 31 last week. They gave up 51 the week before that. They gave up 36. They gave up 44. I mean, they they haven't held a, a Big 12 opponent yet to less than 31 points in a game, right? Mm -hmm. So there's going to be opportunities for our offense to make some hay. This this isn't going to have to be, I don't think, like a, a Pitt or a Texas Tech performance where you have to come out and hold these guys to under 20 points, something like that, single digits in the case of Pitt. You don't have to be perfect this perfect herculean effort as the wvu defense but you do have to keep a lid on plumber you do have to keep a lid on on some yep. of those guys on the outside that you mentioned um because because they're capable and you've struggled to do that the last two weeks so again i know we're going to get to the other, the other side of the football here and that's important but i think everything you highlighted particularly there in terms of the defensive front is really i think the key to this game for me this is the kind of game Wes, and, and you're spot on First of all, let's start with let's start with this as we close out. The, the our best guys have to be our best guys. Yeah, we can't have Aubrey Burks in the back end. As when Aubrey Burks is at his best, he's one of the best two or three safeties in in this league. We can't have him playing like he was against Oklahoma State. 
he went back to some of those Penn State habits, right? We need Aubrey Burks playing like one of the two or three best safeties in this league, holding that mm-hmm. back end down for us. Mm-hmm. We need Lee Koba playing mm-hmm. up to Lee Koba's potential. Sean so Martin. When you get when you get to those groups that have been afflicted or afflicted with attrition, the linebackers, the secondary, you can ill afford. It's not like somebody on the on the D line having a bad week when there's seven or eight other guys helping them out in that rotation. We're so thin on the second and third level. No, you're we absolutely right. Our best football out of our best guys all the time. Jed, you're so right because often when someone gets hurt, right? The I think the fan mentality is whoever steps in for that person has to has to play well, right? Your quarterback goes down, whoever the backup quarterback is yeah. got to come in and play well. Not really. What you need when your quarterback goes down is the A players on your offense to play like yes. A players, right? Um, yes. And, 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 and I'm so glad you said that because so often we think, okay, Ben Cutter, you know, now here's your time. Go get it. All these different things. And, yeah, you need him to play well without a doubt. But you're absolutely right. What you really need is Lee Koba to be at an A level, Aubrey Burks to be at an A level, Sean Martin to be at an A level. You need your best players to be at their best when you're shorthanded. Especially on that second and third level. And, and and this could be one of those games. We talked about it the other day, Wes. You just mentioned the points that UCF has allowed in Big 12 play, right? Well, we mentioned the other day the games we've lost scoring 31 or more since last year. Half a dozen of them, right? This needs to necessarily be one of the games where if we get in that range, that's not happening. Because defensively, we swell up. We do what we're good at. We get them off the field on third down, at least in critical times in the game, critical junctures in the game. We also hold them to a field goal or turn them away in the red zone. I mean, gain an extra four or eight points on one or two red zone trips, gain an advantage that way. And and how about this? Because I'm tired of talking about it. They've turned the football over 10 times. Can this be the game that if it turns into a poor man shootout, we get back in that we, in that yeah, we're, win, yeah, we're, winning we're, the turnover we're ratio bending and sometimes even breaking, but we're stealing a couple possessions with turnovers. Could this be that type of game? So th- th- these are all considerations, but our best guys have to be our best guys, especially among the backers and on the back end of the secondary. And we need to be opportunistic when it comes to stealing a couple possessions and swelling up in the red zone at the appropriate times, as we've done a decent job of all year. That's that's the path to success defensively, as I see it. I think you are 100% correct. I think that that has been proven over the last two games, and I think that's going to be the case again Saturday at high noon down there in Florida. All right, Jed, let's spin the block. Other side of the football, Mountaineer offense, Knights, defense. What do you got for us? Well, what's intriguing about this uh, – we like to run the football and people like to run the football against them. <laughs> that's, that's what's interesting about this. They UCF has faced more rushing attempts than anybody in the big 12, 41 a game, West Virginia by a wide margin leads the big 12 in rush attempts per game with 45. Uh, now let, let's hit some numbers and then we'll talk some personnel. UCF is 13th in the big 12 against the run. Well, part of that's people are constantly running against them. But the other part is they're getting it in pretty good chunks. They're 13th in the Big 12 at 4.8 yards per rush allowed. So it, it, now if you limit it to just those four league games that they've played, here are some of their numbers defensively. 
they are 14th dead last in the Big 12 in rushing defense, giving up 255 a game in Big 12 play. They're 13th in yards per carry. That number swells up to 5.7 yards per carry in league play. And they're dead last in the league in scoring defense that you hit on it, Wes. 41 points a game in league play. So they recognize their shortcomings, their limitations. I think they're a boxer heading into round four, out of round four, and I will be round five, and they're getting a sense of what they're up against. So they're trying to dial up some different things schematically. Uh, they did manage against a very good Oklahoma offensive line and quarterback that that understands their system, gets the ball out fast. He's hard. Dylan Gabriel is hard to sack, right? Big time. I Big mean, time. he'd only been sacked five times in their first six games, and uh, they sacked him three times. They got after him. So they were impacting that passer. So that puts you kind of on alert for what they might try and do against us. Uh, they have the number two defense in the Big 12 against the pass. We just talked about people running all over them, right? So part of this is I, I always say that you you shouldn't trust stats in the wrong hands, right? They're dangerous in the wrong hands. Uh, only somebody who swims in that soup should be having this discussion, right? So, so let's talk about this. I don't want to swim in any soup. No, I don't care to either. But they're, they're number two in the Big 12 against the pass. Well, they haven't had a lot of leads, right? So people kind of get the lead on them and sit on it, and they run the ball Start a lot. Start running so the football. Yep. There you go. It runs those, those rush numbers up we talked about, and it drops those pass numbers, kind of like the 2001 Mountaineers. That's the example I always <laughs> think of, right? I mean, we were number one in the Big East against the pass because nobody had to pass on us, right? But uh, so you see that happen. <laughs> Uh, they've allowed the lowest yards per coverage snap. So this is where you start to rate that out and it has a little more value to it. So it's not just a raw number because nobody's throwing on them. That kind of tells you teams are averaging 5.1 or 5.7 yards per coverage snap. So that's kind of a bang for your buck thing. And that's the best in the league. So uh, they are doing some things where they get, in space and coverage they understand zone concepts they got athletes to play in man concepts uh they held oklahoma for all the struggles that they've had against the run UCF through three quarters oklahoma at 115 yards yeah and they never ended up really impressive gassing, okay so what are they tasked with they're tasked with an athletic quarterback it's not the first one they faced but garrett is obviously a dual threat kid He's run the football six, 61 times. 15 of his 61 runs have gone for 10 plus yards. He's Garrett's, our leading he's our leading rusher and he and he missed two games. <laughs> Garrett's Garrett's fun to watch, okay? So you're thinking, well, that's a massive advantage having that dual threat, you know, uh, quarterback with blistering speed. Well, I'm not so sure. What do they face every day in practice? UCF. Similar. John Wright Plumley. Yeah. So in the same way that I'm not sure why I land with this, because we face Garrett every day, okay? They face John Rice Plumley every day defensively. So there, there's something to be said for that. Which defense can find a greater advantage in seeing that regularly? We'll find out. I think that's going to be one of the subplots in this game. Whichever defense can cash in on what they see in practice every day more so than the other defense, there's, there's an opportunity for one of these two sure, defenses. Sure, So – Something to be said for that. Uh, Garrett's averaging, and this is something that teaser alert here, uh, you guys will be discussing on Phil Friday. 
in the last two games, 402 yards of combined offense rushing and passing. Okay. Uh, so 640 yards he's thrown for in the last couple, and he's run for 164. Again, those are legit among the best in the country dual threat numbers. So you ask yourself, okay, well, what has the UCF defense done against quarterbacks from a total yardage perspective? In other words, starting quarterbacks in the Big 12. They face four of them now. What have they done from uh, pass slash rush yards allowed against those quarterbacks? Well, they've only allowed 239 a game. So Gabriel had 275 total. Uh, Jason Bean had 101. Blake Shapin, 269. Will Howard at 319. He threw four and rushed for 319. So that's what you're looking at. And that, that kind of speaks to the athleticism at large of this group and some of the ability that they have to bottle things up and make the most of things uh, in terms of pursuit angles and, and what they've got going for them from a personnel standpoint with the talent and speed and length that they have. When you look at that length, uh, Jason Johnson is one of the better backers we're going to face. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's one of the highest graded passers in the country. There's very few things he can't do. He's a legit sideline to sideline guy. So you'll see him out there in double zero and, and it's going to seem like he's wearing six zeros because he's going to be all over the place. I mean, he's smacking people around. He's slippery. You'll see him on tape uh, fighting through gaps. He has that sense and that feel uh, to see daylight as a defender. We always talk about that knack that runners have, but good defenders, especially good linebackers and safeties have that knack too. They can see daylight and see creases and find their way through blocking schemes. And he's, he's exceptional at that. Uh, they have a legitimate edge rusher in John Selazar. So that's somebody that, and we talk about from a personnel standpoint, we're going to see if Tomas starts, but Tomas is available, right? So will we be, for the first time in the better part of three weeks, back at completely full strength up front? That yeah. really matters. I, I think people undervalue to some extent, not just how much Wyatt meant to us in the game that he was out, but certainly the combination of Wyatt and Tomas. Tomas is an athletic, incredibly talented kid. Uh, so we're going to have our hands full against the edge presence that they bring. Uh, Coverage-wise, they what's interesting about these guys, they have length, but they don't have a lot of size. Uh, for instance, when you look at Brandon Adams, you'll see him, number 31, you'll see him do a lot of good things. He has great ball skills when the ball's in flight. He tracks it well. He shadows well. He breaks on it well. He's six foot three. You can tell by watching tape, it's a heck of a wingspan. He's a long kid. He looks like one of those guys you've seen playing for K-State or Oklahoma State the last two, three years. Okay, before, right? sure, sure. That, that maybe not as thick, not, maybe not quite as thick because he's only a buck 80. So the physicality piece isn't quite there as much. Uh, same with, with uh, when you look at Jakari Henderson, great coverage skills. You'll see him running around at number one. He's six foot, so he has some length to him, but he's 165 pounds soaking wet. So that's another guy that that lacks the the size piece uh, to what they're trying to build towards. And these are these are the kind of things, Wes, that as you see them as a team in transition, moving from G5 to whatever we're calling P5 now, and they do have that Big 12 logo to recruit with, uh, that matters. So they're going to take yet another step up in recruiting. These are talented kids. For sure. But the reason they're not 6'3", 195 is because they were G5 players. I mean, some of these guys will still play in the league. 
because they still stand to put on a few pounds and put on some weight. But that's what's going to happen. They're good players right now, but they're only a couple pounds undersized. And that's why they were G5 instead of some P5 program, but they can play. Uh, so look, look at Corey Thornton. He's he's one of the thicker among these, these, these kids that we're talking about. You'll see him get some snaps. Teams tend to target him more, number 14. He's 190 pounds, and he's a good 6'1", too. He's a nice long kid. So he's he's a pretty sturdy built kid. So he can bring some issues for you. Plus, he can uh, support the edge a little bit against the run. And they got a nickel back, uh, right back to the same narrative that I just had, uh, Quadric Boyard, good cover skills, uh, but he's 170 pounds. He's six foot, 170 pounds. So, yeah, he's not exactly going to set the edge for you against the stretch play, but on a third and six, oh, yeah, he can break up a slant. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, th th that's kind of what you're looking at. So if I'm looking at shortcomings, it would be their lack of weight or just overall size. They got length, but they're on length and size. So you can be physical with them. I mean, it's going to be interesting to watch Brandon Adams against Devin Carter at times uh, because, you know, Devin's going to have a significant size advantage uh, and he should have a strength advantage. But the kid plays Brandon Adams. I mean, he has strong hands. He'll, he'll slap you around, but it's just uh, – that, that that size piece isn't there. Uh, Walter Yates is another kid uh, among the linebacker groups. He wears number 27. People seem to go after him in space and try and isolate him. So that's one of the things you notice on tape, whether it was Oklahoma or Kansas State. So that's one of the things you're going to see. He's He's actually been targeted 23 times. He's given up 19 catches for 270 yards. And in space, he struggles. A lot of those yards came after a catch. So, uh, yeah, if, if you can get him on a choice route, a crossing route, if you can isolate him with your slot. And, you know, we talk about our ability to move guys around or even to some extent with our backs. Uh, that could be a matchup that favors us. But uh, these are some of the things that I'm looking at from a personnel standpoint. But, look, the the elephant in the room that we have to talk about is we're not going to get to where we need to be offensively. I think I know where this is going. I think you do know where this is going. We, we talk about, okay, we're going back to Florida. What's going to happen. You expect a little extra juice from these Florida kids. I expect Garrett to be juiced up. I expect obviously on the defensive side, you guys are going to talk about that in your fill episode. I, I prepared some stuff for you there, but another Florida kid heading back to the sunshine state. Ah, maybe number four. Levels. C.J. Donaldson. Yes. So let's talk about this, okay? <clears throat> Whatever is going on with C.J. needs to be solved by C.J. Okay? He's about to have his offensive line at full strength. He's about to be facing a defense that has struggled mightily against the run. Uh, here, here's some numbers for you just to put this in perspective. CJ has 117 rushing attempts. Ollie Gordon has 117 rushing attempts. Wow. I would have guessed that number was higher. CJ has 453 yards. Ollie got half of that in one, one game. Ollie Gordon has 816. Jeez. CJ, again, at his best, is a yards after contact guy. That's what he is. When he's playing his best football, 
he's shedding guys like nobody's business. I, I always like to say that he runs through arm tackles like people are swinging pool noodles at it. Well, I, I tell you what, those pool noodles, <laughs> either they're a I'm lot slowing them down, <laughs> they're stumbling him a little bit. He has 305 yards after contact. I'm done with the comparison after this. Ollie Gordon, you saw it the other day, he has 538 after contact. Uh, that's what CJ should be, Ollie Gordon. That's what we expected coming into this year. Now, I, I can't entirely wrap my head around the why behind it. Uh, you see it in spurts. You just don't see it for the balance of 60 minutes. Like you, when he was in last year, you did see it. Now, I would argue like against Pitt, you saw it for the balance of 60 minutes. That was a very physical football game. He was right at the point of attack, spearheading the effort. That was last year's CJ. That's what that was. Uh, I don't need the the game-breaking 20-plus yard run out of him to, to, to see the physicality. The, the game-breaking runs will come, as does the physicality. They're downstream from the physicality that, that he became known for last year. And you see it in spurts, but you don't see it with the regularity that we saw it a year ago. Uh, so I'm not entirely certain what the answer might be. I'm glad that we saw some good things out of JJ uh, yeah. last year. Yeah. Because again, that room is best when pushing one another. I'm glad that Jaheim White has shown flashes. Now, once again, on a week-to-week -week basis, he needs to earn the trust to get the reps. He's a freshman. So there's weeks where he's just going to check out mentally. He saw that last week. And in practice, he didn't earn the trust to earn the reps. So we need all three of those guys at their best. And if all three of those guys are at their best with Garrett developing into what Garrett appears to be developing into and the weapons emerging on the perimeter, I mean, we knew what we had in Cole Taylor and the versatility that he could have from a flex position or an attached tight end position. Devin Carter is reemerging as the Devin Carter we thought we'd get. Uh, EJ Horton's finding a nice little niche. Uh, Traylon Ray is looking like a guy who have a very special future. We haven't even mentioned Hudson. Again, mm -hmm. kind of TBD with what's going on with Hudson. Uh, Preston Fox is making plays for us, right? Mm -hmm. So you see guys in that room. Everything else is coming together offensively. Now, is what we figured to be the central piece coming into the season, is it going to come in? Is it going to fall into place? If we can get CJ spearheading the effort in that room like we thought we'd get coming off of last year and everybody else continues on the, tra the trajectory that they're on this offense could help us win some games down the stretch they mm -hmm. really could yeah they really could so these are the types of things that i'm looking at as we head down to face a team that hasn't been at home for almost a month it's homecoming People tell me that the stub hub market's going crazy down there, and that's kind of an indicator of what kind of crowd you're going to see. I, I see. do think I do think that we're going to be stepping into an interesting situation. Uh, so we're going to have to have a balanced offense. We're going to have to do the things defensively that we talked about doing right there. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of where we're at with all this. But uh, and then of course you're you're going to have to be sound in the kicking game. I mean, that goes without saying. We weren't sound in the kicking game. Oklahoma State certainly wasn't sound in the kicking game. How about if we face a team being as 
undisciplined and unsound in the kicking game as Oklahoma State was, fumbling their own punt, blocking the punt into their up back. If you face a team as undisciplined as them, take advantage of it. Yeah. And, and we didn't do that because I was thinking about this, Wes. Here's my at-large comment that I'm going to make as a key to this game. And I'll make it again in the pregame show in Orlando on Saturday in the tiniest booth in the Big 12, apparently, based on the pictures that I'm seeing. Oh, no. Oh, boy, you, you ought to see these pictures. I'll text it to you. But, uh, yeah, we're we're going to have to come up with a some kind of creative – speak of creative strategies. We're going to have to find a creative strategy just to get us into the booth. But I think this is what has to happen this week and in the coming weeks. We had the discipline conversation the other night, right? I mean, every time you win, oh, well, it's because we're so disciplined. You're not getting penalties. You're not doing this. You're not... We didn't have 120 yards in penalties the other night. We had a couple stupid penalties. But when you lose, that's going to be the focus, the undisciplined things you did. Sure. When you win, like Oklahoma State did, people forget all the undisciplined things they did. That's the nature of the game. So here is what you need to do each week. You don't need to be perfect. You don't need to be the most disciplined team in America. You never are. You never were. You weren't completely disciplined when people were calling you disciplined during the four-game winning streak. If you made one less play, then all of a sudden you're an un undisciplined bum. Sure. What are you sure. playing so undisciplined? But we Razor, razor thin we, margins. So now right? you're not undisciplined. You're resilient. And you overcome those things, those mistakes. See how the, 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 the narrative switches? When you lose, you're undisciplined. But when you win, you're resilient. You, overcome you find ways to overcome it. Yeah. Here it is. In one statement, simply be the most disciplined team on the field Saturday. Not in the, not in the country, not in the Big 12, in on the field. We weren't the most disciplined team on the field. Oklahoma State wasn't a very disciplined team, but they were more disciplined than us. So it was only a two horse. It was only the two horse race, and they had the better yes. horse. <laughs> yes, it's not like they beat us with tremendous discipline. No. Just be the most disciplined team on the field Saturday. Just be the to... be the most disciplined team on the field. Be the best tackling team on the field, right? Yes, because everything else we just talked about, that almost falls into the obvious category, right? Obviously. Yeah, you need Aubrey Burks to play well. You, you need yes. Lee Coba yeah, to play run well. You need, you you need Garrett Green to play well. Yes. You need to hit a yes. big play to Devin Carter. Yes. Yeah. yeah, these things are the more obvious end of it, but – left off the table is don't be boneheads let them be boneheads because they will the other team whoever it's going to be each week are going to do some boneheaded things do one less boneheaded thing than they do yep college kids do boneheaded things even the ones that win a lot of games do one less boneheaded thing than they do be the most disciplined team on the field saturday and then everything we just talked about will matter will fall into place yeah. it matters far more if you don't beat yourself and you're plus one in the boneheaded category or minus one, you're plus one in the discipline category. All these other things, who ran the ball more effectively, who played well in the red zone, who did this, who did that, that's great until the game's tied in the fourth quarter and you have back-to-back -back personal fouls. <laughs> and you, you give them 30 I mean? yards. You go, here you go, here's 30 or, yards. Or you have a miracle drive to cut the lead to seven. You have all three timeouts and you're in a great place and you just need a quick three and out. And you run cover zero and you miss a handful of run fits I, or you're, you're up 24 to 20 and you're forcing a punt in the fourth quarter and you have one of your up backs get blocked into your return. 
these are the things that we're going to make me start. You're going to make me start drinking. You're going to make me start drinking on this podcast again. But like I said, Oklahoma State fumbles a punt. Why was that kid even? I mean, he was right in front of me on the sidelines. I'm like, dude, what were you doing? Even trying to get over here to get that punt? That was boneheaded. That was undisciplined. Their their blocked punt was undisciplined. That third and long personal or uh, pass interference undisciplined. Let them do all the undisciplined things, and you just do fewer of them. Because they will do Central Florida will do some undis UCF. I'm sorry, UCF will do some undisciplined things. Absolutely, they will. Let them do it. Don't interrupt them, and just do one fewer than they do at a critical time. Be the most disciplined team on the field Saturday. Mm-hmm. Not I completely agree, Jed. I think that's a huge key, and I'll, this is kind of my final thoughts, and then I'll, I'll let you give any final thoughts as we wrap this thing up. So many, so much of of what you did well during that four game win streak, right? Was was bare bones football? Was was football one hundred and one? You're more disciplined than the other team. You tackled better than the other team. You blocked better than the other team. You made more plays in crunch time and winning time, right? So much of what has ailed you through this two game win streak has been that same thing, just the opposite side of the equation. So. I'm one hundred percent with you on that. Be the more disciplined team. Be the better tackling team. Um, and I, I think you you know for for both of these teams, they are at that point where they <laughs> they're not perfect in that regard, right? But they've had strong performances. They've had not so strong performances. You've got to be on the upper hand in that regard. I, I think, and I'm I'm with you. That's that's massive for me. Again, a lot of times when we say things like this, it it seems like kind of cliched football 101 stuff. But as you mentioned, at the college level, at this level, when there's two teams that aren't separated by much, that is so often what makes the difference. That's why you spend months and months and months and hours and hours and hours drilling that stuff into your guys. So I'm with you on that. The last thing I've got to say is mentality is a big thing. I think for, for, for 18, 19, 20, 21 year old kids, right. Confidence, mentality, attitude, all that stuff. We know all that stuff matters in every facet of life, but I think particularly in, in athletics with teenagers and young adults, I, I, part of me wonders if the last two games, if our guys have lost a little bit of that edge that they started the season with, you know, the 14, the disrespect, we saw how big of a deal that was after the win at Texas tech. We saw how big of a deal that was against after the win at TCU, and 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 I don't want to say that that they change that, but you know that 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 script flips, right? I mean, you you go down to Houston on the road and you're you're a favorite. You, you you come back home against Oklahoma State after a loss and you're still a favorite. Well, now guess what? Once again, much like you were at your TCU, you were 14 point underdogs. Here, you're a full touchdown underdog. Once again, team, you know the 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 experts, and I'm using air quotes as I say that, but the powers that be you know, that are usually pretty dead on with these things, uh, all of a sudden think that you're that you're out of your element again, that you're maybe over your head a little bit. Get that edge back, too, that you had to start the season. I think that'll go a long way as well. I agree with that. Uh, you, you develop at that age. We all remember feeling like that. If you played competitive sports and you had teammates, your teammates do things to elevate you, to make you feel bulletproof. You, as a group, that synergy does make you feel bulletproof. That's been lacking. And it's almost an other waiting for the other shoe to fall kind of vibe the last two games. So what can you do? Who's going to spearhead the effort to get you back to having that swagger and feeling bulletproof once again? 
and and everything is going to turn on that 14 14 14 we need to get back to feeling like hey here's how way off you were on that projection mm -hmm. and I, I can't stress it enough because when i watch we we talk about our best guys have to play their best when i watch central florida again i know these guys on the staff at least some of them they're a well-coached team they're doing creative things I mean, West, they'll just case in point, part of what they're doing to give Oklahoma fits, K-State fits, some of the better teams or better defenses in this league, this well-coached offense, they'll they'll get wide splits so third long. They run wide splits almost to get it like turned into a nine-on-nine -nine game of football. And then they run a draw play. And the O-line is so well drilled at selling pass on the draw play that in one case, they turned a third and intermediate against Oklahoma into a 50-yard run by Harvey. And in another case, they, they converted a third and 21 on a draw play with K-State. Look, the only way to offset that, the only way to prevent these guys from doing these things in these creative spots with these athletes, your best guys have to play good football. If Aubrey Burks isn't playing good football, He's going to bail out and not be part of that equation. They're going to convert on us. If Lee Cobra is not playing good football, he's going to miss his fit and fly up field or buzz in the wrong flat, whatever the case might be. And they're going to make those types of plays against us. The way you stomp out those types of things, and they're going to set the table effectively on both sides of the ball and in all three phases is your best guys have to play their best football. It doesn't matter how well coached, how well prepared, how well drilled you are. If you're not doing what your coach do, if you're not doing what you know to do, if you're not drawing from your experience and your skill, then you're in a bad spot. So that's what it's going to take. You're going against a well-coached team with a ton of athletes and a lot of speed in an environment that is going to be hungry for an historic win, much like Houston got. It's a homecoming crowd. They saw how close they came in Norman. They almost shocked the world against the top five Oklahoma team, came a two-point conversion away from – that could have got real scary for OU in overtime, real scary the way that game was going. So they came that close. They're coming into this. You talk about swagger. They have that swagger. That was their 3 Quincy Wilson-Miami game. That's what that was. And you know what we felt like even after that loss. So that's what you're going to be up against. So you better bring it and bring it well. And I, I do want to see if this arc – that we see out of some of our key guys can continue, including Garrett. That's what I want to see. But defensively, guys, you got to pitch in and help the staff find ways to – this thing is thrown together like a ransom note right now, right? It's kind of glued together with patchwork. And mm -hmm. we can find a way schematically if Aubrey's holding his own, if Lee Koba's holding his own, if Sean Martin's holding his own – if Beanie's holding his own, if you do that, then they can dial up ways to help us get creative enough to offset some of the losses we've had. But you got to do it. Yep. So that's kind of what I'm looking at. This is a for a host of reasons, Wes. Obviously a big game, but we play the underdog role well. We embrace it. We relish in it. Uh, let's see if we can do it again. You know, hitting the road against what's going to be a very fired up central, central, I almost said it again, UCF team. Sorry guys. They're gonna come for they're gonna come for you in the comments, Jen.
Yeah, it's all right. They're gonna come. They're gonna come for me for that dumb Rich Rod comment I made earlier. They'll come at you for for Central Florida. So we'll both we'll both be we'll both be under the under the heat under the. I should have gone with Chip Kelly instead. That would have been a better. Ah, Chip Kelly, explosive offenses. Yeah, what ten years ago? Where's that been ever since? <laughs> That's right. Oh, I forgot you were talking about. I got you now. Yeah. Did we did uh, we say where Owen was? Yeah, I said he was. He's a, he's a work. He's got a work thing. They they've got some some corporate some corporate some corporate uh, UPS stuff going on. So uh, so yeah. So Big O had to be had to be present at work. So hopefully you've enjoyed Jed and I. I'm with you, partner. This is listen for UCF. If you know, this this is this is a crossroads game for both of these teams' seasons. If you if you're yeah. UCF and you lose, you're three and five. All of a sudden, a bowl get you're zero and five in the Big Twelve after a three and zero start. A bowl game feels like it's it's really tough to obtain, and you're like, man, this is a really bad first year in the Big Twelve. You win, all of a sudden you're four and four. You like, all right, we win two of our last four games. We make a bowl game our first year yes. in the Big Twelve. We'll have a chance to finish with a winning record. All those things. Well your W, your WVU, you lose your third game in a row. You're back to four and four after what was a really hot start, and you're kind of thinking, "Oh man, now we still got to play Oklahoma, and we got to really battle to 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 go six and six and make a bowl game here." Your WVU, and you win. You're five and three. You're feeling better. Yeah, yeah. That two game win streak, things didn't go your way. You got back in the win column, though. You head back home against BYU for a chance to get that bowl eligibility and keep things moving in the right direction. Maybe even still win something like eight games this year. Um, it's a big crossroad moment for two programs, for two fan bases, for two coaching staffs. I mean, all these things involved. So high noon on Saturday, if you're going to be there, because I've seen a lot of Mountaineer fans playing. We know there's a, a nice West Virginia contingent in the Florida area. And I think a lot of people, you know, just, hey, it's a new team in the conference who's back on the East Coast. And yeah, I love a weekend in Florida at the end of October when the weather will be perfect. Um, if you're going to be there, make sure you're representing uh, for the boys as well, too. You know, you'll see Jed down there on the sideline with his 37 different microphones and his wristbands and all of his good stuff. So uh, I'm fired up for this one. I'm excited. Like I said, I love a noon road game because I put the girls down for a nap at 1158. And I can uh, and I can just, as the good Lord intended, go into the basement in the dark and watch the WVU game by myself. <laughs> I, wanted so, to, I wanted to hear uh, one of the reasons I was I was hoping Owen was here tonight was I. I wanted to, to to talk to him about facing a team that is coming off a game like that mm. and facing a team that is trying to snap a losing streak because there's times in his career he did both. Sure, sure. No, well, maybe we can get an answer from him and I'll and I'll and I'll share it on the Phil Steele episode or something like that. But yeah, uh, obviously, you know, this is not our last episode of the week. We know we got Phil Friday coming up as well too. I'll be pinch hitting for Jed on that one. So Skyler and I will make sure to get Phil's thoughts, of course, on this game, all the other games around the Big Twelve, some other juicy uh, top twenty-five games this weekend as well too you got the cocktail party florida and georgia you got a, a top 15 matchup between oregon and utah so plenty of fun stuff to talk about with phil on friday say that again contest the pick them yeah yes Come of course yes make sure uh, you're getting involved with our pick as well too we're still looking for our neil armstrong the first person to plant their flag on the itg moon and go four for four in the process you can find the link to that uh, in our YouTube descriptions, also on our Twitter page at In The Gun Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. We got a lot of stuff going on there. Subscribe to, to YouTube as well, too, to see all the visual element of this that we do. And uh, of course, the one thing that we ask of you is always to close this out is to be in here and tell an ear about your new favorite WVU football podcast for our producer, Skylar Callahan, our working man, Big O, uh, 
and of course, the signal caller, Jed Drenning. I am Wesley Euler. Take care, everybody. We'll talk to you with Phil Steele tomorrow. You've been in the gun. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.